0: Hello, everyone, and good Monday evening. You are listening to Dream Infringement. The DI crew is Bobby and Emily Castillo and me, Jennifer Woodside. It's just me, Jennifer, tonight for the show, and I was feeling a bit introspective. So I thought I would just volunteer some things I've been thinking about, and we'll see where the hour takes us. I think first perhaps it should take us to a song. This is an Oasis cover of Don't Look Back in Anger by Vintage New Orleans featuring Maya Sykes. Slip inside the eye of your mind. Don't you know that you might find a better place to play? I feel unworthy to start speaking after that song. I think she did such a good rendition. I wonder if it feels as good to sing like her as it does to listen to her. Like if it's a good emotional release. I fear I shall never know. Uh, So this summer, like every summer, I'm having problems with ants invading my apartment. Sometimes it gets cold and they all disappear because they're fair-weather ants. I think Emily told me that one of her relatives would put food out for the ants. She would, like, give them a place to be that was out of the way of where she didn't want them to be. I have considered that, but uh, have not come to that kind of arrangement. I read this interesting study about ants. When ants die, after about two days, they emit a scent Called oleic acid. Ants aren't like us. They don't communicate by sight and sound so they can technically see that there is a dead ant there but they actually don't know. They don't comprehend that the other ant is dead until they can smell it and the live ants will immediately bury their dead to prevent contamination. They place the bodies in an area called the midden which is like the ant garbage dump. So a scientist once put oleic acid on a living ant and the other ants could no longer tell that this ant was alive. And so they kept putting it in the midden and it would kind of try and clean itself, get out of the midden and try and join the colony. And then they just like put it back in the midden, like, nope, still dead. And the scientist said it took, I think, about six hours before it got clean enough and no longer smelled like a dead ant, that it was accepted back into the colony. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of ants, I will admit that I was feeling a bit of stress while reading through the narrative, because I wondered, is this ant just doomed to be exiled for the rest of her life, trying to get back into the colony, but unable? So I was glad it had kind of a happy ending, so to speak they did add also that some people who like spray for ants or in some way cause the untimely end of some of the ant colony that more ants will start appearing because they can smell the dead ant smell and they're there to retrieve their brethren and throw them into the midden. They will even do diligence so they're looking, they're searching for the dead ant that they can smell and so just when you thought that you had done something to get rid of the ants, suddenly there are many more visible ants in the location because they are trying to clean house. I feel like there should be some sort of moral to the story there, some kind of parable, like the dead ant parable. Perhaps it's in perception versus reality, or maybe it's something to do with with following rules. I'm not sure. I just feel like there is a parable in there, but it's definitely a reminder that there's a lot of creatures we share the earth with that don't navigate by sight and sound like we do. They have a very different perception of the world. Sometimes I think about like settlers in ye old days, like the wagon train kind and how it would have been so quiet all day long, so quiet. A quiet that we can't really comprehend unless we were, maybe, camping. But as we are, we're so used to having background noise, the TV or music. We use sound kind of like a security blanket to self-soothe. I'm not alone. I'm definitely not alone with my thoughts because there is sound here. I think back in the days when you had to live in silence, I feel like any person that could play like a fiddle or any instrument was probably revered because it was a break. Though I recently saw on TikTok a woman who was deaf and chose not to wear hearing aids to help her hear because the incoming noise was just too much input. It gave her a headache and she preferred that silence, like her own little... Peaceful spot. Maybe if you're alone with your thoughts all the time, it gets easier. Maybe the brain settles because it's not having to fight so hard to take in all that additional information. And all those times when I thought, oh, I would dislike being deaf, and I felt sorry for people who couldn't hear, maybe all this time they were feeling sorry for us because we didn't have a way to turn it off. We were tapped in, but we couldn't tap out, perhaps. I haven't taken a survey to know this, but it's a speculation. And maybe we should speculate that I should play another song. This is Michael Penn with Small Black Box. Take off, we were unaware that we'd wind just up for the sea. Sometimes when I'm driving around, and I see so many drive-throughs and so many cars in line waiting, I imagine we're all like bees or hummingbirds docking in at different places for sustenance and our little traffic patterns and hive mind as we flit from food source to food source. I recently watched a documentary on hummingbirds and it says they expend so much energy that they're always just a few hours from death. Can you imagine living your life on that cusp every single day, just hours from fatality due to your own high metabolism? And when the males are trying to attract a female, they do a little, like, in-flight dance, and they're burning up some of that very finite and limited energy. I feel like there could be a parable (laughs) (laughs) that too. Maybe sometimes you should just be single. You only have a limited amount of energy and you you don't need to expend it on trying to entice somebody else, perhaps. Maybe you need to focus on your energy supply before you can help anyone else. Or is (laughs) is that what happens if an airplane has problems and little masks come from the ceiling? You're supposed to help help yourself, then help others. Sometimes as I walk around, I like to take pictures of bees doing their thing. I've gotten more comfortable with bees these last few years. Not enough where I want to like put on a bee suit and frolic with them, but I just like to observe them because they're very singularly minded. They have a job. They don't want to pick a fight with me. They are content ignoring me. As a child, I always thought it was different that the bees had a vendetta. That they like wanted to sting me but really it was just that they got caught in a fold of clothing or crushed and so they used their one defense and they have to make this choice is it worth it to sting you but it will kill them perhaps again another parable that like hate or revenge you may temporarily wound somebody but you'd lose yourself in the process I felt like different bees in different neighborhoods just radiated different energies and to a point that could be true. Um, beekeepers have said some hives seem more aggressive than others. I don't know I hope we have one of the like nice friendly hives in my neighborhood. So far they seem to be the <laughs> content to ignore me and do their job while I hover around and try and take pictures of them close up because I like taking videos of bumblebees and slowing them down. And Bees can be a little wobbly as as flying things. I also find it kind of funny that scientists have said there's no reason why a bumblebee should be able to fly. Like its mass and body shape and wingspan do not compute something that could fly around. Yet it does it anyway. Scientists don't know everything. I'm sure they'll figure it out, but I just like that it's this little anomaly going about its day, not realizing that it's doing something extraordinary. And I think there is a comparison, again, that we could draw here, which is that maybe we too are nature's little anomalies. Maybe we persist in doing something that might be... On the outside <laughs> estimation of things impossible and yet we persist in doing it so go forth my little bumblebees and achieve great things I'm also fascinated that they've dug up like a 3,000 year old jar of honey that's still edible they've even found honey that's 5,500 years old that I didn't read anything on people claiming if that's edible or not. What a strange thing that we try so hard. We make our our buildings and our monuments. Yet this tiny little creature is able to make something that is closer to immortality than anything we've ever done. (laughs) Buildings may come and go, but the honey will remain, I suppose. I feel like there needs to be another song. How about... Laura Gibson with Empire Builders. We are not alone, we are more alone than we've ever been. So hurry up and lose me, hurry up and find me again. I haven't given a cat update for a while, so my cat, Theo or Fionnan, who I adopted in June of last year is now about 16 months old and a whopping 15 pounds he's medium haired in some places, long haired in others and he's a steely gray color which is the exact color of shadow so he gets to wear a very loud collar so I don't step on him because he's impossible to see in a lot of lighting He's not a very cuddly cat, but he's a very protective cat. I think because four months after I got him, I had a surgery and had to stay at my parents' for about a week. And my stepfather would bring him over to visit, and Fio would go to my door and just howl and howl until he could see me. And when it started getting later into the evening and he knew that it was going to be time for him to go home He would come up with these very elaborate hiding places and just disappear hoping We'd forget him I guess and he'd be allowed to stay over Once when my stepfather went to to feed them He ran out the door and tried to run to their house to get to me So after all of that, I think that kind of traumatized him so he has this need to keep an eye on me. If I'm in another room, he has to know, he has to, to observe. I took him to the vet a few weeks ago and when they took him back in his little carrier, he started to howl, full out panic. And if I shower, he wants to be there. He lays facing the the door patiently, guarding me the whole time. If I don't let him in, he'll just lie outside of the door, guarding it till I'm done. I don't know what he's guarding it from. Apparently Quinn, the other cat. And I always thank him for his service. Like, thank you, I I survived another shower alive. Due to you, you're an honor to your regiment. It's a privilege to know you, sir. Sometimes he'll even stand in front of me if there's a loud noise, but he does not want to cuddle. His love language is just not cuddling. So he loves me in his way, which is keeping me safe. One time he even put, one of his little toys on my TV tray like his way of making me dinner I guess. Recently I got some recordable buttons where you can record a sentence and then when it's pushed it plays it back because I saw on Instagram that some people had been able to train their cats to a lesser extent and then dogs to a much greater extent to push different buttons to indicate that they want something. and. I thought, oh, well, this could give my cats a greater sense of control. So I was setting up buttons for them. And they say you should like arrange it by type, kind of by subject type. So actions like play and pet and things like that, and then people, places, and then some even have feelings like mad, happy. So I was setting up the people buttons and I was like, okay, we have a Theo button, we have a Quinn button, one for my parents and me, and that was perplexing. Like, who do who do my cats think I am? I mean, I don't call myself mom, so I, I don't, and I don't really call myself Jennifer. I I don't go around talking in third person to my cats all the time. So like in his head, what sound does he associate as representing me? I don't know if cats put names to things like some animals do they say like dolphins and crows have names for each other and i think crows have names for humans i don't know maybe it's like an ant situation where they don't like name you they just you have the smell and you're like your smell is you or something which i cannot record that on a button so yeah we'll we'll see how that goes (laughs) but he's learning he's he likes treats and he's really good at pushing the buttons but he hasn't figured out that there is an outcome associated with them if he pushes play he gets to to play with like a feathery thing on a string that he loves or that pets equal petting that's mark quinn's button theo doesn't like i said love language is not cuddles so he's not really that interested in in Petting but Quinn is much more clingy. She's not so good at pushing buttons She's really good at just lying on them and making them go off Specifically her name, so I think she gets it So to keep up with the the trend I started do you think there is a parable here with the cats pushing buttons? if I had to stretch in my, Stretch it out to make it fit. I would say maybe there's a parable of cause and effect that we sometimes engage in something and there is an outcome but we don't realize that we're the ones that are in control of that outcome because so far my cats are like they want me to push the button they push the button I get treats I get these other things that I want but I don't know that that's associated with it and then once we learn we have a greater sense of uh, control in our lives and we can get the uh, outcome that we actually want maybe i mean it kind of works right with that said i think it's a song time do you think it's ready are you ready for a song interlude let's go with the beach house take care Ever suddenly feel a popcorn kernel stuck in between your teeth like your molars and mentally calculate how long ago it was that you had popcorn why do I ask oh no reason <laughs> teeth are weird smiles are weird like usually across the board bearing your teeth is not seen as a friendly or peaceful gesture yet there's this exception. If you bury your teeth in a friendly manner, a socially acceptable manner, and you don't growl while you're doing it, people think you're very friendly, so nice, so congenial. If you have nice mouth bones, people think it's attractive. If you have a defective facial muscle that appears when you bury your mouth bones, others are like, that dimple, so adorable. And if you don't have good mouth bones, you can get metal braces attached to them to change what their shape should be and that they work like they're supposed to. And if your mouth bones fall out, I mean, that's it, they don't grow back, unless you're a child. But you can get fake mouth bones instead. Teeth require a lot of upkeep. I do the required upkeep because I enjoy having them, the teeth, but yeah, it's a lot of work. I also think laughing is weird. We find something funny and then we emit this sort of rhythmic sound with our breath. Ha ha ha. I mean, it's good for us. We get good chemicals. But it kind of reminds me of like when animals give an alarm. For instance, dogs. They're like, whoa, I see a threat bark 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 so that everyone around is now notified of the interloper we can all be on high alert someone has detected a threat so is this kind of like a humor alarm where we're like whoa i've discovered humor everyone serotonin and dopamine is to be found here alert the funny is here and so we go ha 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 and that's the signal And you'll notice this, especially I think if you work in an office where there's actually still people in the office, someone laughs, everyone's heads just perk up and swivel like a group of meerkats. They're just like, they're laughing, they're laughing. Something was funny, quick flock to the shred, this brief escape from the ever constant pressure of reality. Like they're so hungry for some kind of entertainment or for something to lift the mood. So I I think laughter might be like a humor alarm that goes off and then we all have to to, to go and like get our, our dopamine. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I find so few things super funny that when something really hits me as humorous, I'm a loud laugher. I'm just really excited to be thoroughly entertained. It's a feeling of joy. I'm just this kind of person that doesn't like a lot of things. And I want to. The people that like everything seem a lot more content and engaged than i ever feel so when i can sincerely join in it's this great feeling so all that pent-up unspent laughter comes out like this celebration something was funny at last so that's i i follow certain like social media accounts that I can depend upon to kind of have the same sense of humor and that makes me feel a little bit better. Also crying is weird. Like something was so sad and now I must leak fluids. Scientists think that it's a useful signal of distress. People can close to you can be like, Whoa, she's crying. Things aren't, things aren't okay. And it also makes people, most people somewhat empathetic. But they found that men respond to women's tears, like their testosterone levels go way down, and some theorizes that it affects oxytocin, the hormone that can promote social bonding. So sometimes if I'm crying in front of men, especially if they are the one that made me cry, I take some pleasure in knowing that I'm just killing off their testosterone levels with my female chemically tainted tears and forcing them to care. Take that. I've weaponized crying in my way, I guess. So after that breakdown on things I find weird about the human face, uh, let's, let's play a song. This is Hey Julie by Fountains of Wayne. Julie, look what they're doing to me, trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down. Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it, and I'd never make it through without you around. No, I'd never make it through without you around. I decided to start collecting the drop shopping lists outside of stores. I just started, so my collection is only three lists so far. But I think it says a lot about people. Sometimes it's that people can't spell and that many people have some sort of shopping list shorthand. But it's like this tiny story into a person's life where you can try and piece it together. Like, who are they? What are, what are their goals? What are their life goals? What are they trying to accomplish? So there's one I found today. Uh, the first says, Yogurt. But it's spelled Y O U R G A R T, ice cream, and lasagna. I think it says Stoffers, maybe it means Stoffers, and it's L A Z A N Y A. Very phonetic. I mean, okay, so it makes sense. It's really hot, it's over 100 degrees and this person maybe doesn't want to spend a lot of time slaving in the kitchen and so they're like we'll just we'll get a pre-made lasagna just pop it in the, the oven and that's dinner and then it's it is hot so we'll have some like cold refreshing ice cream later and the yogurt maybe they do some kind of breakfast thing maybe it's probiotics this next one It's on very cute uh, Flamingo stationery. It says dog food, hyphen, treats times three, wine, trash bags, Pepsi. So I feel like the trip was really all about getting the dog food and the dog treats, and then they just kind of threw other things in there that they thought they needed. So they're like, hey, We're almost out of wine? Yeah, we're almost out of trash bags. Like, the other things were an afterthought to the dog food. Uh, The third is got, it's like little Christmassy snowmen stationery. And it says, silk, three. Body lotion, bars, nuts, tuna. I feel like this person's on a health kick. Like, they're like I feel like there is a diet going on here silk maybe that's the the brand of like the non-dairy milk and I also found this sticky note that just says rootin tootin rhythm roundup time in texas so I googled it and it is actually refers to a two pack VHS set Of Gene Autry movies, one is "Rootin' Tootin' Rhythm," and then the other is "Roundup Time in Texas." I was kind of hoping that it would be what someone had labeled like their vacation pictures when they went to Texas, and it was very epic, or like they were in a traveling band, like a bluegrass band or something but uh, alas no it just refers to some classic movies which we now know that maybe you'll get a trivial pursuit question like what two classic gene autry movies uh, you know star his time in texas or something and you'll be like oh i know otherwise why waste the brain power of getting this from short-term to long-term memory right Speaking of grocery lists, I realize that I get unreasonably envious and like a little irritated, resentful perhaps, when I see someone that's quite elderly say in their their 80s or 90s that can put away like a sub sandwich with, you know, peppers and extra salami along with a milkshake for lunch, like How does their digestive system still have, like, enough oomph to tackle that? That's amazing. Because two years ago, I became unable to eat gluten. And that was very sad for me because I love gluten. But it became not worth the consequences to consume it. But when you have to go gluten-free you lose a lot of eating out spontaneity because people are like what about there and you're like oh let me research the menu and see if there's anything that's remotely edible and you still know that you're going to have to pay twice the amount for something that does not taste as good and is much smaller kind of a yeah kind of a letdown but early this month it began to happen again except with dairy and I'm like food allergies in this economy, for real? So annoying. But they say that it can be part of the aging process, that maybe my body no longer wants to hand over the enzyme that can break down lactate or lactose. And so that's sad. (laughs) My digestive system and its (laughs) decline of old age our stomachs are such complicated little chemistry sets such a concoction of elements and tubes and rings and acid and bacteria and all that it's like a little factory trying to convert food into energy sort out the wastes keep what you can it's very efficient when it's all working And I always think it's funny when they call it like your your intestinal or gut flora like it makes it seem like some little greenhouse that I'm harboring that's also very temperamental like one of those orchids you you get and you're like it's so pretty I love these these blooms and then it's near impossible to keep the orchid surviving. So, yeah, basically my intestinal system is like a, a dying, temperamental, exotic houseplant. With that said, I feel ready for a song break. This is Babes with Isn't It Love? There's only one question I wonder about it. Day- to paint rocks. I try all different styles from cartoony to sweet to watercolor folk. It doesn't matter just as long as it's something I thought was cute. Paint is really forgiving. I have all these pins collected on Pinterest and I go through and I paint the one that seems most appealing at the time. Though I wish that I had the ability to paint something from my mind and not a copy of something that I've seen. And I don't know why I can't. I also really don't know what my true style really is. I know I'm bad at the more cartoonish things because they require a precise line. I'm better at things you have to blend. And a Mandela, oh no, no. Dots and rows, that's beyond me. But that's okay because paint is forgiving. You can always just cover and start over. It would be nice if life was like that, that you could try something and then erase every clue of its existence and start again. I wonder if some of the great painters in history, like da Vinci, when people now use special equipment to analyze paintings and see if there was something else beneath, that. The artist had recycled a canvas or maybe Mona Lisa wore several different smiles than the one we know now. I wonder if they'd feel a bit embarrassed, like we dug something up that they had deliberately obliterated for not matching their vision. It was subpar. I guess we won't know. I think I would feel embarrassed by it though, personally. But then again, I also feel bad for babies that have those really realistic sonograms because I feel it's like we're spying on them without their permission. I mean, they're a baby, they don't know, but I just imagine them being like, oh, I don't even have fingers yet, do you mind? It's such a mess in here, I wasn't expecting company, I didn't tidy up, let me grow a nose first before we're properly introduced. Which, I mean, that's, it's a good thing that that doesn't happen because I think that would be unpleasant for all parties involved, baby, parent, and uh, ultrasound technician, doctor. So, I mean, it's good that they're just kind of like floating around in the amniotic fluid, ba- bouncing around, hearing muffled voices. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so very, very much for listening to Dream Infringement on KSKQ. We are so happy to be able to have a show that we can do for you and so thankful for all of our listeners here and then also like on iTunes and SoundCloud. We get listeners from all over the world. I'm looking at you, Frankfurt, Germany. You, thank you. I don't know who you are, but you listen consistently and I love that about you so catch us next week if you did not like what was happening here like what went down this hour please rest assured that that is not the permanent state or condition of the show yes that's what i love about having co-hosts is like it doesn't rest squarely on your shoulders if somebody doesn't care for you there's two other people that they that they might so like there's a little something for everybody maybe unless it's about sports there's nothing here for you for that anyway sorry i <laughs> we will catch you on the flip side i will play you out with a song hmm, how about beirut with elephant gun always makes me want to learn how to play the ukulele maybe one day i will then i'll come and talk about it on the radio